0: Yo, what's up Z-Pack, it's your boy Z MD. Welcome to Incident Report. Today's guest is gonna teach us a lot about end of life directives and he knows his stuff because he's an emergency physician, is also the chief medical officer of the Institute on Healthcare Directives and the founder of a really cool startup called Midio. It's a video-based app where you can tell your healthcare team in emergency settings what the heck you want if The stuff hits the fan. We have Dr. Ferdinando Meraki here with us. Fred Meraki, what's up? How are you? Thanks for having me. Dude, it's a pleasure because you're a brother from another mother because you're an emergency doc from Philly. That's it. I'm from Philly. It's pretty hardcore. You don't have a North Face jacket or the spandex, though, and that's upsetting to me because you're not playing to type.
1: Yeah, I... I when I look at my emergency medicine docs, I mean, they all wear it. They're all in the gear and so on. And maybe I just don't get outside enough. I live in Erie now, so I should have North Face and I should have all that stuff,
0: right? You know, to keep warm. You ought to be parasnorkeling, doing all this extreme stuff, right? But you, you know, you were telling me early before the show. It's interesting because you actually run emergency department programs. I do. And one of your sort of claims to fame is trying to bring together my people, my tribe, our people call it maze hospitalists and emergency docs. And what's that like? Is that like fire and ice? Is it like Game of Thrones? Like- so
1: initially fire and ice, but, you know, when, when you can make – You know, synergies with different practices and specialties, and really develop essentially incentive models and and collaborative working relationships around it. Man, the synergy can just be amazing. And we've been able to do that. We've been able to build contracts for ER docs as far as you know, incentives, hospitals as far as incentives, mutually aligned incentives. So you're not just admitting crap to the hospital. You're admitting sick stuff that you really need to keep in a hospital. And the same thing. We get the hospitals to work with us to do the back end works. So we have capacity.
0: Okay, How dare you? call a 90 year old with a sodium of 134 that gets admitted for that sodium crap. All right, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, you use so much administrator speak there, synergy and uh, aligned incentives, and you know what? I'm going to I'm going to compliment you for it because as a physician, we need to be leading. We need to take that Thank language you. and actually implement it because we know we actually touch patients. So it's great. So when I talk to the administrators in my system, they're asking me
1: when I'm working clinically. And if I show up in, in you know, business casual stuff and talk to the doctor, like, hey, you administrator today? It's, it's funny. I just, I get it on both sides. It's <laughs> said, so, yeah, you can't
0: win. You can't win. Well, so it's interesting because that actually ties into the central premise of this episode, which is you saw a problem as a clinician. Yep. And what was that problem? So I'll go back to my own story.
1: You know, when I was in, an intern back in 1997, I was taking care of a 55-year-old lady in an ICU. And I was a real aggressive intern, and she went into VTAC, and I came running in, looking to Shocker, old-fashioned paddles, right, as old as I am.
0: Did you rub them together like Absolutely, on TV? Absolutely, you yeah. gel and everything, yeah. holy
1: crap. So I go to Shocker, and this nurse comes flying across the room saying, no, she's a DNR, she's a DNR, and she's flashing a living will in front of me. And I was paralyzed. This lady's dying in front of me. I was paralyzed. And I was lucky. There was a cardiologist there. And he just threw me aside, literally threw me aside, took the old-fashioned paddle, shocked her. She woke up. Back then, we gave her streptokinase. She lived. She went home to her family. If that would mean she'd be dead, you know? And, and then if you fast forward just a little bit more, my intern, or not my internship, but my residency, Allegheny General Hospital in Pittsburgh, great system. Essentially, uh, I'm taking care of a patient who's 65, septic. He came in. He had a living will in front of him. I'm like, I'm not going to make this mistake again. So I treated the crap out of him. I intubated him, put lines in him, just to find out he was a hospice patient, end stage, and his family just couldn't cope with him dying at home. So now I over-treated somebody. And then I came down to it and found out in my own family, it was really hitting home and that my father ended up passing away from spinal um, osteomyelitis because his nurse thought his DNR made him an end-of-life patient and didn't take care of him when he was critically ill. So So it's
0: it's, it's that, that tragedy of DNR equaling do not treat. Yep. Or the DNR being overthrown by an emotional family, or a million different reasons we get the end of life piece wrong. Absolutely. And, and actually, before the show you were chastising me a little bit, not so much, but more like, hey, I saw your video on end of life stuff. So you've Ain't the Way to Die, where we talked about not having the conversation and then being right. tortured at the end of life. And you know, I have strong bias, right? Because as a hospitalist, I see the the what happens when we don't have the conversation and then people are flogged. Yep. So I have a certain bias, right? So the second video I did where I was like, hey, this is what actually happens when we resuscitate you. Uh, We'll put in tubes, you're gonna get this. There's gonna be something in your wee-wee. It's a mess that you don't see on TV. And all that is true, but what you're saying is we often miss that other side of it, which is uh, patients don't understand and caregivers don't understand that do not resuscitate doesn't, it's not just as simple as that. People have very nuanced wishes, and we don't, we're not able to communicate those, especially through, say, paper or electronic charting. So a couple things.
1: I mean, when you look at it, first and foremost, there's a body of research called the triad. It's the Realistic Interpretation of Advanced Directives. It's in its 12th study now, as far as from anything from looking at living wills to simulation trials, and I can show you those. But the premise is- We'll link to it. Yeah. great. The premise has been true ever since the beginning. Healthcare is not ready to deal with living wills. Healthcare providers are not ready to deal with Pulse documents. They're good documents as everything has evolved, but they have issues or unintended consequences with them. The unintended consequences are living wills get misinterpreted as do not resuscitate orders. They're negatively expressive documents. They get misinterpreted. You show a doc that, you show a nurse that, you show a paramedic that, a doc 80% of the time will look at a living will and perceive it to be a DNR. A nurse, 88% of the time. A paramedic, 94% of the time. will look at a living will and assume it's a DNR. When you ask these providers what their understandings of DNR are, it's flawed. 64% of physicians think it means end-of-life care. 80% of nurses think it's end-of-life care. 96% of pre, uh, pre-hospital providers think it's end-of-life care. So we, we have an issue here that we, we've we unleashed some things, hopefully for the good, but unintended consequences of health care not being ready. And we have unfunded mandates that people have to know about living wills. We have to ask them about living wills. We try and get systems to make Pulse documents, which are good, but we got to make sure providers are ready to deal with them. And I was a victim of it. I I was not ready to deal with it when I came out into my internship, and I see it all the time in my residency, or in my residency, I saw it all the time, and as an attending, I still see it today, that people make these same misunderstandings.
0: With your father? What happened?
1: So my dad was um, an immigrant to the country who at one point in time developed a very crippling non-rheumatoid or a rheumatoid-like arthropathy, ended up in a rehab facility, got a urinary tract infection, was becoming bacteremic. They saw his DNR order, which again was just for cardiac arrest, not for anything else, mm. and essentially perceived him to be an end-of-life patient, left him alone for 20 hours in a bed, septic septic bed sore septic and died Ah. and that stuff happens and we got to make sure that those people really get care when they want care so going back to your video great video you know it shows look we all have moral fatigue from this you know, you see them, I see them. The worst thing an ER doc wants to do is resuscitate a 90-year-old who's got no quality of life or has no chance of survival, but it's a full code. Oh, my God, come on. You know, just like you guys, you don't want that, right? We want to put that person in palliative care, in the hospice, make sure they're comfortable, families protected, and so on. But the reality of it is, is we're scaring people into making DNR decisions because we think everybody else is going to understand what they meant by that DNR order. Uh. So and and think me and you could have a great conversation, right? You can know exactly what I want. You make me sign a living will or you make me sign a post. Great. We did a good job. We can even bill for it now. You know, but when you go to the next step, when that next person comes into their care, they have no idea. We're medical strangers. I don't know you, right? Medical you? stranger. Yep. I love that. It's term. medical yeah. stranger danger all over again. Oh, it's stranger man. danger for kids, it's stranger danger for for patients today. You know, doctors don't come to the hospital. So if we had that great conversation, you're not there to support me. You're not there to defend my rights and decisions as a patient. You got Fred Meraki, ER, doctor who doesn't know you, who's got to look at a piece of paper and within seconds needs to know how to treat you. That becomes the error. And when you see what happens in the, the system, it's broken. You know, first, you can't find documents, Right. And maybe that's good because if they found them, maybe more errors occur because patients are now, you know, families are now finding out that patients aren't being treated. Or worse yet, we're starting to be sued now because we've treated somebody, Mm. you know, as far as saving their life. They call it wrongful prolongation of life. Mm. So now we have this whole new opening of a box that's going to cause lawsuits to physicians and healthcare systems and they're already happening. I don't. You don't even have to wait for them to
0: happen. They were already happening. So it sounds to me like what you're saying is the communication and the infrastructure to relay patients' wishes is flawed, and our ability to use that data is flawed in its current incarnation. So it's not as simple as DNR, DNI. It's not, you know, like your father. No. He was, do not resuscitate for cardiac stuff, like if there's cardiac arrest, but it didn't mean do not treat his urinary sepsis right. or bed sores or these other things. And it's true, I think, a lot of caregivers to, just sort of turn off if somebody's do not resuscitate or they have a living will or a molst or a pulse that the physician orders on life-sustaining treatment. And we've had great guests on here talking about how to fill those out. And look, it's very important, like you say, but you have to be able to interpret it correctly. And another thing you said that was interesting is the medical stranger piece. So, okay, Fred, Zubin, we're we're medical strangers to this patient that comes into the emergency department, but we have to decide within seconds what we're going to do. Because they're in extremis. Yep. Do, I, do I run a code? Do I do a slow code? Do I, do mm. I you know, intubate but not CPR, CPR but not intubate? You know, there's a million different parts of the spectrum, mm-hmm. most of which are, are kind of dumb ideas, right? Um, but you have to make these decisions based on this very incomplete information. So you've now started to think working—first, t- tell me about this Institute on Healthcare Directives and how this influenced you.
1: So the Institute on Healthcare Directives is a hope that I can develop and formulate into many different healthcare systems. So you know, UPMC could have an Institute on Healthcare Directives. Ascension could have an Institute on Healthcare Directives. It's a concept. Now, it's my clinical practice where I do advanced care planning because I was gotten frustrated with what was happening in my community as far as people creating documents. You know, attorneys create them, a doctor might create them, a nurse may create them, people that really aren't having good conversations and doing things correctly for patients. So I started my own practice to do this. And that's the institute. And through that institute, we publish research. We you know work with nursing homes to teach how to do Pulse documents. We work with nursing homes how to have end-of-life care conversations. We see patients in conjunction with attorneys, estate and elder law attorneys, to make sure that their plans are done with video that we'll talk about in a, in a bit but to do it in a way where we have a better way of memorializing or documenting what they want and retrieving it in a way where we can actually make it come to life and save a life or let someone die naturally. You know, I I get hit a lot with people think I'm an end, or I'm a right to life advocate. I'm not. I I don't Mm. really care if someone wants to live or die, and I don't mean that facetiously. Mm. What I care about is doing right for that particular patient Mm. and that family to make sure that we either
0: protect them and let them die naturally, or we resuscitate them because that's their wish. So the so-called A-N-D, by the way, allow natural death, mm-hmm. is a very different way of saying, uh, do not resuscitate. It's, it's a very different vibe, and and I think it's important that language in this case does actually matter. So in your mind, how would a patient ideally then communicate their wishes in a way that's um, usable by us? So
1: we, I, I call it scripted video.
0: You know, in triad Eight, we did a study, and. The,
1: If anyone takes anything else from this, look at Triad 8. All of you out there who are doing research, publishing on Pulse, publishing on Living Wills, look at Triad 8. It was a study that we essentially did, published in a journal of patient safety, that showed clinical scenarios with a Living Will, clinical scenarios with a Pulse, and then those same scenarios with a retrievable, scripted piece of video of a patient telling us what they want as far as their wishes. And that scripted video is gold, I kid you not. We can get as high as 99.6% accurate as far as to make someone understand if the patient's a DNR or to make them understand if the patient's a full code even if they have a living will or pulse. So we can get very, very accurate now as far as being able to care for people in a way. So essentially I was looking for a way to produce a safeguard mm. you know, for patients. And I think MIDIO now has become a safeguard that we can deploy because education isn't just the answer. There's way too many people involved in everybody's care. There's no requirements for me and you to look at a living will or a pulse and say, "Hey, you're competent to actually be able to understand that document and provide clinical care."
0: Yeah, you know. Well, so essentially, so Mideo stands for my informed decision on video. Yep. And so it's basically saying, "Okay, Mr. or Ms. patient, tell us on video." what your wishes are and, and there's a couple advantages to that right because it's coming right out of their mouth. Yep. It's not parsed through a lawyer or family. It's yep. them saying it. And it's you probably structure it in a way that it's usable, right?
1: It's very structured
0: and it's done in a way after us
1: after an interview with or a, a questionnaire as far as with a provider who's trained myself. You know, we could train yourself. We could train any provider to do this. I'm untrainable. Just no we're that. all trainable. Come on. <laughs> But we can, we can literally do it in a way where, again, we, we produce a script. You got hypertension, right? You get a script for lisinopril, right? This is a script for your advanced care planning. Advanced care planning has to develop more. It has to be able to develop to take care of me and you when we're healthy, that person who's got moderate complexity of illness, as well as that end-of-life patient. And you got many people with their hands in the pot, right? You got palliative care, and in certain areas, palliative care is doing both palliative care and hospice. You got hospice in certain areas that are doing both palliative care and hospice, we're telling people you can go into hospice as a full code. To me, that's just absolutely ridiculous. Mm. I think you, you you set a patient up for injury when you do that mm. and, and misconception on the healthcare system, but we script it in a way now where it's not just a vague statement by you. Hey, don't keep me alive if I'm terminally ill. Well, that's a dangerous statement, Yeah. right? Because now I can look at that and say, hmm, you don't look too good today. We're going to enact your document. Whereas we give you a script, essentially making it so that you identify yourself to joint commission identifiers. We essentially make it so that you know how or we know how to treat you when you're in a critically ill state, a witness cardiac arrest, an unwitness cardiac arrest, and hey, who else you're supposed to contact if I hit these other parameters to make sure that you're getting the right direction rather
0: than making a guess. So it includes your surrogate decision maker that you've chosen. That's very important. And, and that's an underutilized po- person, by the way. Underutilized and poorly chosen many yep. times. Oh, I'll choose my wife mm-hmm. or my daughter or something. Well, they're so emotionally attached to you, they're going to change their mind at the last minute, even, no matter what your wishes are, one way or the other.
1: Great point. So that's been something that Mideo has been great with. We, we've been able to show Johnny, who flies in from California, to see Mom in Erie, who's dying, who hasn't seen her in 20
0: years. Yeah,
1: We've been able to show him exactly what her wishes are. To, to resolve
0: conflict. Wait, wait. So you can show the family members the video and go, hey, look. And you know what? Okay, I just had a thought. So so much of the guilt and shame of family members, they have this burden yep, of having absolutely. to make this decision. Because, because, honestly, patient and doctor dropped the ball, didn't make the decision, didn't make it clear, didn't talk to them, so now it's on them. Yep. So Aunt Marge hasn't seen Johnny in 20 years, but now shows up. For the first time, and says, You know what? We should do everything because, you know, I have a, and this is guilt, guilt. and shame. Now, you show them this video that Johnny made saying, Listen, Aunt Marge, listen to everybody. This is the deal. It's scripted. This is what I want. This is what I don't want. That can absolutely decrease suffering in the family.
1: Absolutely. Fact, I have many patients that have come to me and they, They've done that because their kids are so diverse. Mm. They don't want their kids having to make that decision for them and fighting
0: when it comes to their end of life. You know, we, we put that in our uh, Ain't the Way to Die video, you know, and no one agrees in the family, the caregiver Kate wants her come for care, but, and Claire lives so far away, that her guilt eats her like a cancer, so she answers, wait, I think you'll wake. Ma'am, you ain't even in the state. And, and and I think, and that came from the patients only heard wish, which was them saying at some point, I don't wanna be a vegetable. Right what does that mean? Exactly. So so now I'm really interested. Show me, I haven't seen a demo of this. Show me what how
1: this works. So today we use ID cards, but we, we could actually do things like ID cards or medallions and so on. But we, we script it in a way on the ID card based off of a principle called code. So your code status, your position on organ donation, if you have any directives, who your emergency contact is. And in that case, it's your healthcare agent, essentially. And then if you look at it, there's IDs, there's a Picture on there as far as this is me, right? So yeah, this there's is me uh, as a John Doe, I think. Ferdinando oh, no, one,
0: code status, full code, date of birth, all the other stuff there.
1: This is my real one. So essentially yeah. on it, you have a QR code. And that QR code is a very, very simple piece of technology that's able to bridge and connect me and this ID card to produce something for you. Point to the QR code. The Dick QR Dickson, code is right this here, little this guy. little squiggly thing. You see them all over the place. Hard, you, know? yep. you see them on plants. You yep. see them yep. you know, just to get quick bits of information. Yep. So today with this and an ID card, you can essentially take any smartphone, right? Because everybody has them.
0: QR reader is built into the camera app.
1: Built into the camera. If I can remember my password. <laughs> <laughs> Zoom in on his password, guys. We just want to <laughs> access to my phone. Uh, yeah. So like if I pull this up, like if I show this here. Okay, you have a QR
0: code. Back it up a little Back bit so up. we're in focus plan. Right. There we go.
1: And then we're going to, ch- I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this like this, but we're going to go right here. And there it is. Scan it right away. And in 10 seconds, not even 10 seconds, you now have something. And this is my informed
0: decision on video. Look over here.
1: Resuscitation choice is full code and the provision of CPR and ACLS if my cardiac arrest is witnessed. If my cardiac arrest is unwitnessed with a perceived prolonged downtime and signs of death then there's to be no trial of cpr my date of birth is february 25th 1970 and this message has been validated by the institute on Healthcare directives my mind is sound as i voluntarily this is a script that's a script and it's It's an all all an evidence-based script all produced from the triad research that we've been able to figure out and make it so that it becomes compliant it becomes legal it's a compliant medical order it's
0: signed by a physician so, so I'm looking at this video, it's got you, it's got all your stats on the left, it's got some scrolling stuff with contact information, and it's got you going through the script to make sure that you don't screw anything up, and they don't screw anything up, and it's legit. It's legit. So I'm in the ER, I you pull out that they pull out that card, yep. I scan it, or EMS pulls out the card. Yep. Because so, so often it's pre-hospital providers too, right? And they don't know what to do. And so I can immediately see this. Now here's my first question, HIPAA. I'm Ah, sure you're getting a lot of crap, right?
1: No, absolutely not. So HIPAA protection. So we are HIPAA permissible because it's the same protection as Pulse Document gets. It's the same protection as Living Wills get in that this is life-saving or life-ending information. So under the Emergency Preparedness Acts of HIPAA, it's HIPAA permissible. So that means that
0: you don't have to go through all these weird secure servers and all this other stuff? Well,
1: we still do go through the right. servers just because we're very, very protective about it and we right. wanna make sure that you know everybody's information is protected, but simply just connecting the QR code to that video in a private link in a secure format actually meets that requirement as well. Wow, so,
0: so you have a, effectively a HIPAA permissible, we won't say HIPAA compliant, we'll say yep. HIPAA permissible video-based app and so here's a question. I mean, to me, this is amazing, right? And our whole goal on the show is to try to shine lights on bright spots where things are actually working. You're actually pointing out a problem that many nurses have messaged me about. Mm-hmm. This under treatment, do not resuscitate, meaning do not treat. It doesn't. And they will complain that doctors will walk away, nurses oh, yeah. will walk away from patients, like your father, who that's not their wish. Right. So you have a solution now that can actually solve this problem based on actual clinical data in other words, your trials with Triad, Yep, you formed an organization to promote it, the Institute on Healthcare Directives, and then you have a company that actually is getting it out into the world. Now here's a question, so how do you make money on it, how do you buy it, how do you use it, how can our people try it? Who are you marketing it to?
1: Marketing to, I mean, to prove concept, we essentially went to consumers, went to patients and so on. And at the same time, trying to build relations with skilled nursing facilities and, and payers like. Now, there's no doubt that this type of technology belongs with a payer provider system. Deep down, I really don't think payers want to do bad, mm.
0: okay, and I know no, doctors and payers are always at odds and I've so on. I've talked to them, they don't want to do yeah. bad, they want to do the right thing, and it's yep. in their best interest financially to actually prevent disease and yep. so on, yeah.
1: And I, I think they want to do good, so ideally, it belongs within a system that can be a payer-provider system to incentivize for completion, and then essentially teach physicians and allow physicians to do this. Now, I can do this, and I get reimbursed by healthcare payers. You know, some of the best payers in the systems, you know, I'll get reimbursed anywhere from 200 to $330 to do what I do, and I want to teach that.
0: I so, want so to me, teach medical what providers. What do you do to get reimbursed like that?
1: So essentially,
0: we're doctors, right? Yeah. Yeah, P- purportedly. Some people don't. <laughs> some people don't believe it. I constantly get these a messages on now. Facebook. Are you? Yeah, right. Provider. Are you? Are Are you really a doctor? Yeah. I'm like, you know, there's a thing called Doctor Google that where you could search that. And my credentials are online, but people don't believe it because I make the jokes. But anyways, please, it's just I'm a little bit sensitive. <laughs> so yes, we, As are we all do- should be. We we are it only doctors. cost us a half a million dollars to get here. I didn't go to four years of right. evil medical school to be called Mister. <laughs> <laughs> So you're, we're all doctors.
1: And it's funny though, too. You know, most doctors really don't want to be called doctor. At least that's been it's my. So ex- I don't like I, it. I, yeah. Call me Fred. Call, yeah. You know, and and literally, but you see other people who just they get that ego to them, right? Yeah. They yeah. want to be called doctor. Yeah. That's not how real doctors are. Real doctors are doctors who take care of people. I'm
0: so with you, brother. Yeah. I'm there on. You go. Yeah, that's right. Let's do this. Oh, it burns. Sorry. Because you're an ER doc. <laughs> And I'm a hospitalist. Kryptonite. It's like fire and ice. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're saying how you get uh, reimbursed for this? What you do as a doctor? Yeah, it's how you set your practice up, you know.
1: And we're happy to teach this as we go to anyone who wants to consider doing it. You know, it's setting your practice up to be involved as a physician to medically evaluate, to medically risk stratify people. And we did a piece for Ashram on this. You know, the American Hospital uh, uh, Society Risk Managers Association did a great webinar and to talk to people about this and how we can do this. You know, but really the premise is people have to want to do it, right? Mm. So people seem to think that this end-of-life conversation people know, or that they're gonna either do it haphazardly and be able to figure it out later. You have to find people who want to do it. Mm. And again, I think advanced care planning now that it gets reimbursed for from Medicare and the payers are following, you have the ability now to set essentially a subset up where we do advanced care planning again for the healthy patient for those with cancer, heart failure, COPD, ALS, and so on, and then the end-of-life people. Everybody's not at end-of-life, right? You get a document. You Attorneys tell people all the time, this document will only come into play if you're terminally ill and there's nothing they can do for you. Bull. Yeah. Bull. You walk exactly. into a hospital with a document. You walk into a hospital a living will, a People have a perception in their mind they're supposed to follow that document. Some of the just the best medical editors in the world when I was originally producing triad said, if that living will doesn't make the patient a DNR, I don't know what does. Mm. Now you can have a living will and still be a full code, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's just, it's a matter of what people understand. Yeah. And then as far as how to do it, we've developed a HIPAA compliant system to actually create, these and do all the data capture, demographic capture, create the video scripts, educate the patient, and so on in what I like to call a facilitated approach, facilitated advanced care planning, meaning we train people, we credential them, you know, we make sure they're competent to actually do what they're doing, and then essentially build this into a practice model where you can see medical patients and have them come through for their medical illness and do their advanced care planning and even customize it to that illness. Right? Because an ALS patient may not want intubated later. Right. Right? They may want intubated early on. Right. But they might not want to be maintained on, on mechanical ventilation, trait pegged and all the other stuff that goes with it. It's their decision. It's not my decision. It's their decision. It's my right or my my position is to educate and guide and provide medical treatments. Some of those treatments are for end of life. But it's not my job as a physician, at least I don't think it is, to portray my opinions, my beliefs based on those moral biases that we all get because we've taken care of so many people that we've had to resuscitate that we probably shouldn't have resuscitated. Mm
0: -hmm. And essentially because uh, um, the question would always be, well this is time intensive and training intensive and how do we get paid for this again?
1: Yeah, so the timing, training, it's all based on timing. Advanced care planning codes now afford the ability to actually do this, do new stuff, and even provide audits. Audits. Journal, Journal of Patient Safety just accepted a Triad 12 paper we have, and it'll come out in November. I can't really speak too much about it just because it's in that protected zone right. and copyright or whatever it is. But we did a study that looked at existing DNR orders in a hospital, and the results were terrible. 40% of the time, patients had no idea they had a DNR order in their records. Mm. 38% of the time, they didn't even agree with it. You know, They, they were just there for chest pain rule outs, or a TIA workup, or something. And they had DNR orders in their records, and it came from someone misunderstanding their living will document. Mm. So again, we ask two questions all the time when you come in. How do you want to treat it in cardiac arrest? And do you have a living will? And the way you answer those questions is how I teach my patients to navigate the healthcare system that we can do for a lot of people now, not just my patients. Mm-hmm. So
0: so if, if I, as a, as a healthcare professional, I'm doing this with your device i can bill medicare for advanced planning code not
1: just medicare you can bill any payer today. commercial insurance commercial insurance, they insurance medicare, medicare the va system because they all follow medicare guidelines
0: so this is a tool actually because i'm again i believe in what you're doing and i want it to succeed and the only way it's going to succeed is if the incentives align for physicians to use it in Absolutely. a time strapped world yep so in your mind um so how would it work a physician would uh, down, we would have to go through you guys to get credentialed, or we'd like them to. We'd like yeah. them to use
1: our technology. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd like them to use the Mideo app. You know, to provide the education. Apps are based and technology is based to try and bring many to one, right? You know, so that you can kind of help control the masses and bring them all together and provide the same level of education, standardize the terms. Mm-hmm. You know, to make sure people actually understand. So, but we we would like it so that they would work with us, use our technology, so that we can provide the QA oversight to the whole system. You know, you create a video, you want to make sure a video is appropriate, right? You don't want to hear about grandma, you know, doing, you know, crochet or anything like that. You if remember, I docu- can't right, knit, right.
0: I don't want to live.
1: Well, not just that, right? You can have a lot of inappropriate stuff that's put in video. If I can't <laughs> knit underwear for young boys.
0: <laughs> I don't want to live. Exactly. That you you want to make sure. Wrong? so i understand so you would want some standardization and also some evidence-based uh protocols for doing this because otherwise it'll be just as bad as a living will absolutely and and that's why
1: you want to make sure everything is done in a format right Mm -hmm. a controlled educational format look living wills are there pulse is there Pulse is a very powerful document, but mm. it was really created for that end of life patient. Mm. Okay, and and when you try and throw it out to the masses now, without appropriate education, what happens? You get errors. Yeah. yeah. Right. And now we're trying to. You have systems actually trying to create their code set of systems that mirror up with the Pulse statute in their state. Not the right thing to do. Mm. When you look at it, when when you use a Pulse, it's very powerful in that if there are DNR CMO. You can predict predict where they're going to die. You can predict that location with a high accuracy. With the DNR CMO again as well, you can predict timing now. So now you've got a very powerful document that can actually predict the time that patient will die. Huh. So that's why I say we have to be very careful in how we let this out to masses and not keep it within that, End of life spectrum, because now you're just applying an end of life spectrum to the community as a whole, to the nation as a whole, not even the nation, but internationally. Right. And now you have a perception pulse. End of life. This guy's got a pulse. He's at end, end of, life. of life. Yeah.
0: Wow. So, so again, it's 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 a multifaceted thing about education, applying the right tools to the right population, yep. making sure it's based on actual evidence and trial evidence, which you're obtaining and have obtained and continue to publish in the Journal of Patient Safety. Uh, So in your ideal world, are health systems picking this up? Are patients picking this up? Are providers, doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, PAs, people who talk to patients about this stuff, are they doing this? Who's the central choke point here?
1: So, I mean, it all needs led by a system. You know, and that's, that's my job this year, to make systems realize that this is important for them to adopt and embrace. You can still do documents. You know, we we're we're not anti-document. We are not anti document we do not say don't do a living will, don't do a post. What we say is that you need clarifying pieces to those documents so that others understand and that you don't harm people and that you don't get sued yourself. Yeah. So and the choke point is gonna be, you know, that system getting doctors to embrace. When I show doctors this, they like it. Yeah. They like it because it's it's informational, it's directional, it's guiding. When they hear about a living will, they're like,
0: God dang it! Yeah, I hate yeah, looking yeah, at it. right, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, pulse are a little more direct, but yep. like you say, they may be biased in the sense that they're really the end towards end of life, and you know, uh, 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 negative. It's a negative document. Yeah, but
1: they're ne- well, not not so much the pulse being negative, more so the living will being negatively expressive. I see. Mm-hmm. Pulse have order creation errors. So if you have a living will that says, "I don't want DNR," I don't, I don't want mechanical ventilation. I don't want um, CPR, I don't want intubation, I don't want antibiotics, all of a sudden that becomes a DNR with comfort measures only to the untrained provider in a pulse. Got it. Okay, if you say, I want mechanical ventilation, but I I don't want CPR and I want antibiotics, then all of a sudden that's a DNR limited treatment interventions Mm. to that untrained provider who's Mm. creating a pulse. And when you look at it, and I've done this in nursing homes myself now, the person creating the post often is the admission nurse or the social worker. Mm-hmm. And it's terrible to put them in that position because they're not really having an in-depth conversation for that patient and family. And then some provider comes by, a uh, physician or a nurse practitioner or a PA and signs it off.
0: I've signed a million of them, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. and did you have a conversation with them? Uh, often I did, often I did, because otherwise I wouldn't sign it. But, but Well that's I, good, that's yeah. great
1: of you, that's admirable.
0: Well, yeah. I was just scared of, again, it's like a legal thing, too. Yep. Like, I'm creating a legal document. If I, it's wrong, then I'm doing this person harm, and I deserve legal retribution, you know what I mean? Uh, I've never said that out loud before. <laughs> Let me never say that again. I never deserve so legal. See what happens when you put Philly and Jersey in the same Philly room, and Jersey together. Bad. <laughs> Two great tastes that taste awful by themselves, but together, booyah. And so, I'm talking to systems right now. I'm looking at the camera. So, health systems need to listen to this guy, or some equivalent of him, right? I mean, we're not just saying just use Mideo, but I think Mideo is a great example, even though it looks like a little bit like a hostage video. So you know, <laughs> yes, um, I would like many things done and many things undone. <laughs> yeah. how Now here's a question: How do you prevent malfeasance? So is it all in the training? Like in other words, like Grandma really wants Junior's inheritance? Yeah. It's or all a vice in the training. Versa. It's all in the training.
1: Yeah, and yeah. we don't get me wrong. That's that's a very scripted. Demonstrational video of my own and so on. I mean, we we have people customize their videos. Yeah, you know, and the it's impressive when they customize their videos. You know, and talk about their family quickly. Like we 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 ask them, you can customize this at the end. Say something to your family. Yeah, you know, give a final wish. One guy scared the crap out of me. I mean, it was literally when the Indians got to the World Series. He came in the morning of the World Series game and said, if the Indians win, now I can die, so now I'm here. I'm like, holy crap, don't say that. <laughs> but his video is great in the end, and I can show it to you in the end. He's like, go go tribe, you know? And yeah, yeah. That, those are memories for people. Right. My first patient, I, I still haven't shut his video off because every so often I see it scanned. So it's it's a memory that Mm. we want to make sure is still around,
0: Mm. you know, for that family. So it has really a lot of different uses. What is, uh, I didn't listen to your whole video, but what are your wishes then? What did you convey in your video?
1: So right now, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm a pretty functional guy, right? So I'm a full code, Mm -hmm. especially if I have a witness cardiac arrest. Mm -hmm. If I'm in an unwitnessed cardiac arrest and you have no idea how long I've been down and I look like I'm dead, I want you to leave me alone, Mm -hmm. you know? And at that point in time, I'm comfortable with that, Mm -hmm. you know, but... If I'm in a witness cardiac arrest, that's the person we should be treating. Yeah. Right? Witness yeah. cardiac arrest for someone who's, who's very salvageable with good functionality prior, the guy who comes off the golf course who has a witness cardiac arrest and has an MI, we shock that person, we get them to the lab, they go home. Yeah. You know, yeah. if, if we just simply stop at, hey, you have a living will, yeah. or hey, he didn't want treated, Yeah, that person's going to die, and that person was probably pretty salvageable.
0: So can I tell a quick story that I still yeah. struggle with? It's still kind of occasionally in the middle of the night I think about this, and this was when I was a r- 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 young attending. I had a 90-year-old, very functional lady who got admitted for pneumonia, mm-hmm. and I I my team admitted her, and then I sat down with her, uh, literally, because my whole thing was I sit down with the patient and spend some time. Because in those days we had a lower census, we were almost like a concierge nice, hospital huh? group. It was so not, great. No <laughs> not no more. Not no more. Part of the reason I don't do it there anymore. Yeah. It was a really beautiful thing because we actually had shorter lengths of stay because when we discharged patients we sat down and went through it and made sure they didn't bounce back we called their PCP we had a conversation so it was really a high touch care that actually since medicine is relationship based works so i sat down with her and i said okay so it looks like you're pretty functional this pneumonia is going to get better you have good care at home what are your wishes you know if something were to happen Which, oh i've already thought about this quite a bit i i had a husband who went through this i don't ever want Electric shocks. I don't ever want CPR. What if you would get better and it was transient? I was just talking to her. No, I absolutely not. I feel like if something like that happens, it's the universe's way of saying enough, right? So the next day she's getting better. I'm getting ready to discharge her. I'm sitting there talking about discharge instructions with her. No residents there because they're losers. And uh, he I think said they were, that. Not me. Hey, <laughs> I think the intern had the day off actually. <laughs> okay. And uh, so they had like some covering team or whatever. And so I'm sitting there. And as I'm talking to her, she's sitting in the chair, and she goes, I, I, I don't feel so good. And her eyes roll back, and she slumps back in the chair and she's unconscious. And I'm like, what the hell? So I go and I feel her pulse, there's no pulse. So I grab the nearest nurse, pull her in, let's grab you know, an EKG lead and, and strap this on. The nurse says she's DNR, DNI. And I said, I know, I just, I'm the one who had that conversation, but I wanna see what's going on. And, you know, it was a systole. And uh, at this point, I'm in that position where I'm like, this is a love, I'm emotionally attached to this mm-hmm. woman. It's a lovely. And you woman. liked her, right? I liked her. Yeah. I'm emotionally attached to her. I've witnessed her cardiac arrest, it's in front of me. I know what to do about it. Like if I were running the code, I know exactly, okay, this is how we're gonna do this there is a chance that she'll come back because there's, you know, this is this a PE? Is this an electrolyte thing? Is this some weird tamponade? Is, is this just, it could be a million things, but I, I know her primary problem was a pneumonia getting better, but she's been hospitalized. So it's like, at that point, I was paralyzed for a good mm-hmm. 30 seconds. It's scary. Terrifying. And I had the same thing, like, well, but what if, you know, what if, and so you know what I did? I told the nurse, okay, get ready to call a rapid response, but don't do it yet. I'm gonna, I grab the chart, uh, meaning I grabbed the cow, the computer on wheels, which we now have to call a wow, and I looked up the family member's name, and this was a son who was four states away. And I called him right away, and I said, I don't wanna stress you out right now, but your mother was admitted as you know, we called you earlier, she's just suffered a cardiac arrest <clears throat> witnessed by me. She told me very clearly what her wishes are. I wanna confirm with you that this is her thinking and that I I know that if she was in her right mind, but I just wanna run this by you. And that was a bad idea, honestly, because if he would have said something,
1: you probably would have acted. I would
0: have acted, Mm -hmm. but I was emotional, right? So he told me, he was very upset, but he said, if this was her wishes and she told you that, I'm gonna respect her wishes. And we did and we let her die. And it was one of the hardest things I had to do, I remember, and I still am very, I, I know I did the right thing, but it felt so difficult. Now the thing is, if this were, if she had that app, right, then you have a documented document where we, the son sees it, the doctor sees it, and you just know, okay, this was, she was in her right mind. And you wouldn't have been traumatized. And I wouldn't have been traumatized, because I'm the the only witness of that, right. Now I'm the treating physician, I'm the attending physician. Even the interns were like, you didn't code her? I'm like, you weren't there when I had the conversation with her, right? So I think this is a way to, I think, bring a lot of guilt and shame and other things, not just away from patients and their families, but also from, from caregivers. So that's why I'm really excited that you could come on the show and tell us what you're doing. And I'm excited that a frontline clinician took it on himself to say, this happened to my father, this happened to my patients, I'm going to do something about it, and we need more people like you. Well, thank you. So, thank you so much. Now, what's the call to action? What are we going to tell people to do here? So, I think first and
1: foremost, those that are in the world of research have to start looking at the triad research. You, you, there's a body of research there that's unfunded, but unfortunately, many don't know about it because it takes about 17 to 20 years for any research really to come to light in the market. So, but that research is there and it's very important as far as living wills and pulse and keeping people safe and there's also tools in that research that allow people with checklists as far as DNR verification tools it's all very good and again it's unbiased it's unfunded the other thing i think people need to do is to learn about midio you know go to midiocard.com take a look at the videos take a look at the patient testimonials one was a physician who actually got admitted to a hospital and had a nurse try and slap a DNR bracelet on her i mean it's 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 an amazing Bit, and it's an amazing testimonial that you have to hear because we do this. We do this in healthcare all the time. Spell it out for me, Medeocard. Card, C-A-R-D. Card.
0: M-I-D-E-O-C-A-R-D.com. And we'll put that in the links. We'll also put in links to your triad yep. data and any other links you send me, we'll put in the description on zdogmd.com, SoundCloud, et cetera. This is a podcast, it's a YouTube thing, it's a Facebook thing, but it lives on zdogmd.com. Awesome. And that's a great resource for people to share with their administration, with their health plans, with their emergency department directors, with their directors of nursing. I think this is important technology that can not just save lives, but save a lot of trauma. So, Thanks again, Dr. Fred Merarkey, for coming on the show. It's really, this is the kind of conversations that get me really fired up because they they treat a pain point in our system that I think uh, until we address it, we're not gonna be operating at our highest game. We're never gonna get to health 3.0. So thanks for coming on the show, brother. Thank you. All right, we out. Peace.